We are Netflix, the podcast for people who love Netflix and want to learn how we do what we do. Is it a rule in the security side of things at Netflix to have people don't speak English as their first language? Is that like a necessity? <laughs> yes, it's a requirement before we hire you. What languages do you speak? I speak uh, Romanian and uh, English. I've noticed. <laughs> Which is good for me because I'm I'm mono and I'm doing a, uh, a half-hearted job at uh, teaching myself Spanish. I thought it was Chinese. Uh, I gave up on Mandarin no. because right. to learn even the basics it was just astronomical for me. A tone-deaf person. It's very hard as tone-deaf. Yeah, yeah no. definitely. Bertrand, how do you say your first name? Sorry. At home, I said Bertrand. Bertrand. For the past 18 years in the Bay Area, I've said Bertrand. Bertrand. I'll, I'll just mutate <laughs> it's, it's it every good. time I say it. What about you? What languages do you speak? Well, I was born and raised in France, so French. Um, English, obviously. Um, I spend a bunch of time in Spain and Mexico, so Spanish is okay. I've, it's very rusty by now, but mm-hmm. that's about it. Well, I, I'm doing a disservice, Michael. Uh, JavaScript. It's primarily my first language. And then I'm just a touch of English. Not enough to pass high school English, as my teacher wrote on all my papers. I was told I was the worst student she ever had. You brought this up before. I think there's some pain. Have you gone back there to complain to her? To tell her, hey, you know, I'm doing okay? No. Why not? She didn't show up to our 10-year high school reunion. (laughs) She was scared. I was the winner at that point. (laughs) Philip Pond has a Bachelor of Science in Mathematics and Computer Science from Ohio State University and a Master's in Computer Science with a focus in cryptography from Stanford University. He graduated in 2007. While finishing his Master's, he worked at Apple as an intern focusing on fair play crypto. And after his internship, Philip worked at Apple as a crypto software engineer developer for two years. During his time at Apple and before and from school, Philip co-founded Good Game, a web-based project to process online event registration and credit card payments for student groups and university departments at Stanford. Philip left Apple in 2010 to join us here at Netflix. And over eight years of Netflix, how have things changed in that eight years? I've grown a lot, personally and uh, career-wise. I came in fairly green, I would say. Netflix gave me a great opportunity to um, pursue different interests and different, uh, learn about different technologies and just really grow as, a, as an engineer. Yeah. Uh, so it's been fantastic. Every year has been better and better. All right. So we have an add-in, your colleague. Do you want to introduce your colleague? Sure. This is Bertrand. Take it away, Bertrand. <laughs> it's kind of a tall order to follow. But uh, yeah, I was born and raised in France. I studied uh, telecom engineering from 98 to 2002. In 2000, I had an opportunity to come to the Bay Area for a one-year internship, a, like a, a uh, break year, if you will, uh, mm-hmm. during the studies. And I met Love in California. And so in 2002, I came back and I've been here since then. I went through a bunch of different companies, but I ended up in 2007 joining Apple, where I met Philip. Two years into his, his tenure at, at Netflix, he was really trying to convince me to come join. And so in 2012, joined Netflix. And with a tiny pause in the middle that we can talk about at some point, uh, I've been here for six years. You took a break from here? I took a break, yeah. Why? Uh, I was asked to leave. Oh. But then I came back. And then you came back. Yeah. Talk about growing opportunity. I know, right? I, okay, we're going to dive right into that. Here, you know, we're asked to leave if we're not filling the company's needs. So at po- some point, someone made that decision. That's right. What was that based around? And did you agree with it? Well, so, yeah, um, yes and yes, right? Uh, so I, I joined in 2012 to run the iOS uh, engineering team. And I think in retrospect, I can say that I was not doing a very good job <laughs> of that. And so after 18 months, my manager at the time decided that he needed, he, he needed to make a change, right? Uh-huh. Now, whether I agreed with it at the time, it's, you know, it's, it's a difficult conversation. So I, don't, I can't say that I was uh, jumping for joy. In retrospect, it was definitely 
a good move. It worked for you. Yeah, and, and you know, it, it wasn't working. That there's, there's no question there. I mean, if I think back about it, I took a year to go do something else, and it gave me an opportunity to think about what I like to do uh-huh. and what I didn't like to do and what I did well and what I didn't do well. So I came back in, a, in an individual contributor role, and it's been going swimmingly since then. So are you not looking into management then? You were like, I tried that, it didn't work out for me? Yeah, yeah, pretty much. Yeah, It's interesting, though, because by the time I came back, the person who had asked me to leave was now my plus two, was my new hiring boss, his boss. Oh, interesting. Okay. But, you know, it, we had a very straightforward conversation, and it made a lot of sense to, to him that I came back. It made a lot of sense to me, and, and yeah. so it's, it's been going well. It's really hard to get into a place where you're not doing excellent at your job and are asked to leave and grow from that. I'm, I'm surprised you thought that it would make a lot of sense and feel good to come back. Was it a good decision to come back here? It was a great decision to come back. It wasn't as thought out as you're making it out to be, sure. right? It was really a question of I left. I went to do something else for a year. It was a startup. It was a failing startup. After a year, it was really time to go do something else. And there happened to be a good opportunity that matched my skills and my interests well. And it happened to be at the place I used to work at. Yeah, yeah. Coincidentally, yeah. Right. And then at that point, the good thing about Netflix is the past history did not matter. Yeah. But it wasn't like, hey, I really want to go back to Netflix. Did you feel any embarrassment? or I mean, did you see old people that knew the situation? You're like, hey, I'm back, everybody. No. I mean, yes, it was was that kind of a situation, right? But then you make a decision, right? Like, well, hey, I'm back. I'm back on good terms. I'm back into doing it into something that I'm – I think I'm going to do well. So, hey, hey yeah. I'm back, right? Yeah. Do you feel your previous experience um, and the relationship you had with the previous people um, impeded your progress, your initial progress when you came back? No, I don't think so. The, the Really, the, maybe the, the, the weirdest part was the interactions that ultimately I had to have with my successor, the guy who took over the position. And I have a great working relationship with now. At first, you know, it was a little weird because, you know, I'm in a security team, we, we have to, you know, with our quotes come tell people what they need to do, right? Yeah. Like, hey, you need to do this. And so now I'm going to the guy who used to have my job. I'm like, hey, you need to do this thing. Like, what does it mean? Is it because I'm the security guy? Is it because I run my position back, right? Like, so we kind of had to dance he's a little bit around that. And he's a pretty excellent person to work with. So I'm sure that hasn't been that difficult. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no, no, I, exactly. Do you do that a lot? Do you guys actually in the security go to teams and go, you know what, we're doing this wrong and we need to change? I, I was saying that jokingly because it's been an, an ongoing point of debate within the team. No, we, we don't want to be the enforcer, mostly because it's not, that's not productive, right? Nobody likes to be told what to do. Sure. If you're told what to do and you don't understand the rationale, right. then it's not as good an experience to do it. That's right. And if you understand the rationale, you don't need to be told to do it. Okay. I think to your point, it, it, it really depends on the situation. And I think for us to be successful, we have to assess each situation kind of individually. Mm-hmm. If usually our, our, our normal stance, our default stance is of consultant, right? We're here to help you. And we come in with an open mind of trying to learn mm-hmm. what is at stake? What are the interests? What are, what are the business goals? What are they trying to do? And then provide guidance, provide some boundaries for them to achieve those goals. There's a lot of security groups at Netflix. And for, I know that there's teams that help me you know, make sure that I've got two-part authentication on my system. You guys don't do that. There's a lot of space there. So can, you, can we focus down a little bit of what your group actually focuses on right now? Streaming security. That's two words. Making, <laughs> making sure our files stay private, but also shared to everyone on the planet. We wear a few hats, and at a very, very high level, yes, making sure of that. I think the way that we can define ourselves as, as distinguished from whole other security org 
is our focus is primarily on the devices, uh, on the client side, right? Where most of the security in the, in the rest of the world too, uh, most of the security teams would be um, application security, but for backend applications would be network security, would be IT security. We're focusing on on content security. We, we've established that, but also device security. We wanna we work closely with our partners to make sure that their devices are robust enough against um, you know tampering of some of some kinds. You know the way that the team evolved and, and the history of of how things developed. We happen to also own the security protocol that we use for some of the communication between the client and the server. Can you give me some names of those security protocols? Sure. So the protocol itself, we, we call it uh, MISL, yeah. MSL, Message Security Layer. Okay. We've open sourced it. It's on GitHub. You know, in a way, we are the cookie guys who said, well, TLS is not good enough for us, so we're going to invent our own thing. It sounds not that great when you put it that way. We, of course, think that we had a really good reason that we – that. TLS was not meeting our, me- our needs and that we needed to do our own thing. Okay, let, let me just clarify. what that, That's kind of a shocking thing to hear. But TLS is the backbone. If you ever go to a, a website that's secure, HTTPS, and you see the lock and the icon all that, the protocol that does that, the handshaking that does that is called TLS. It used to be called SSL, but it's actually TLS now. And so you're saying the entire internet uses this protocol, right. but we're going to do something better for us. <laughs> Why would <Yeah>. you? <laughs> right. <laughs> well, how how and, do you decide to make and, that? And also, you know, Security 101 says never go invent your own protocol when you can use something established. Well, unless you have expert cryptography people, which, of course, that's who you guys are, right? So why do, you, why do we do that? Why do we go to Missile and not do TLS? Do a little benefit. Pros and cons here. TLS has enough variability that we, you know, there's ways to make it work. But it's really geared towards this asymmetric communication where you're some anonymous client. You're mm-hmm. your web browser, some random Joe, right, at, at home. And you connect to somebody well-known. You connect to your bank, to Google, to something. And so there's an asymmetry there where, as a client, I want to know who I'm connecting to. But who I'm connected to doesn't really care about who I am, right? And then that, that communication is secured. And this whole system relies on this fairly heavy-duty… Uh, handshaking. Well, the handshaking itself, but like the, the infrastructure around, around the, 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 the determination of who you're connecting to. Mm-hmm. Right, the, the, the bank has... That's a big piece of it, right? All these certificates that are signed and make sure that right, trust authority, exactly. all the, that whole the thing. The whole X-Level sure. 9 PKI thing, right? And that's really heavy duty. It comes with very high requirements. And it is asymmetric where in its default configuration, TLS will help you identify you, the client, you, the, the user, identify who you're connecting to, but not the other way around. Mm-hmm. At Netflix, we own both ends. We own the back end, obviously, but we also own the Netflix app that runs on the clients, right? And we care to enforce that only Netflix clients connect to our backend and use the Netflix service. By Netflix clients, do you mean Netflix-approved devices or logged-in users? Netflix-approved devices. Okay. We, we care about the login yeah, user yeah. as well, obviously. Okay. Exactly. But even before that, we, we care about this needs to be a Netflix device. So we need to identify the, the client, and TLS doesn't help that all, that, all sure. that well with that. There's ways that it helps. Now, there's mutual authentication, right? But... Then if we do the, the TLS way, then that means the client needs to carry its own uh, certificates, and then that comes with heavy requirements about time management, sure. which you know, embedded devices don't do well. Okay, so once yeah. you've made that decision, I, I understand it sounds like a pretty intelligent decision thought, thought out. I'm sure you, you have some, Philip, you have some experience here trying to do it all in TLS because missiles are relatively new protocol. I mean, it's been around. It's started since I got here uh, four years ago or so. Yeah, before we had missile, we had the NTBA. There's a high desire – for flexibility. Is NTBA our own protocol as well? Uh, Netflix ticket-based authentication. Okay, go on. It was a heavily influenced by Kerberos, Microsoft Kerberos. 
But yeah, we, we desire a high level flexibility. We're on many, many thousands of SKUs of devices. And it's paramount for us to be able to cryptographically identify and authenticate each device. Uh, because that tells us something about the platform security of that device. That tells us something about the level of security um, provided by that device, mm-hmm. which tells us something about what type of, what type of uh, content we should authorize for that device. Um, it gives us high assurance that, as an example, the Netflix application is less likely to be used as an uh, attack vector to target specific users. Meaning we're putting some software on people's TVs or exactly. on DVD players. And technically, the larger surface area, the more complicated that application is, the more risk we put their device at that, other attacks. That's exactly right. Okay. Yeah. So we need to be careful about that. It's a, Very it's a big careful. ownership right. role. Okay. So as we decrease the stack and understand the stack better, reducing it to something like a protocol of ourselves, we're not relying on something like OpenSSL, which how could that ever have a bug in it? Oh, wait, it does. <laughs> um, so it allows us to have a, a safer environment for our customers. That's, that's completely right. And on several devices, is we don't control that OpenSSL stack. Right. Actually, that whole HTTP, HTTPS, OpenSSL stack is provided by our device partner. Right, the operating system, effectively. It has to be at level, some level. Yeah. yeah. So I'm sure that was a painful experience for us at some level. I won't get into that, though. I do want to ask you, when we decide to say, you know, we're not going to do TLS, and we had this older protocol, and we've learned from that, and we've you know, learned from the Kerberos flow, and now we're going to produce this new thing called Missile, we've got to develop a, a whole new way of ensuring all these things that you're talking about and replacing these technologies that are heavily proven over time, you have to invest a lot of software engineering time to make that work. And we're still investing. <laughs> Hence you being on the podcast with us to talk about it. Yeah, yeah. Our, our, we have um, three of our colleagues that are deeply invested in this. I mean, and right. they put many hours in yeah. still. they're full-time on this now. Yeah. So we find that missile, we came up with it because we had a need. We find that it fulfills the need, but there are challenges. And one of the challenges... TLS for other people, for you guys, yeah. is great because there's a ton of tools. If you need to, you can always go debug what you need because all the tooling is there because the rest of the world uses it, right? right. For Missile, we've been suffering a little bit about that because if there's going to be tooling, we need to develop the tooling. Let's dive into that, for example, for just a second. So right now, I'm on the iOS platform and, and Michael's on TV and website platforms. Mm-hmm. And so we're developing all the time and we're getting a lot of data. Of course, we do get the streaming data, which comes through Missile. But we also have images and uh, data like the title and, and synopsis of all the episodes and all the images for the episodes, the whole user interface. And all of that stuff also is going through TLS, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. And it's doing that because we're doing more standard uh, systems. We're using Tomcat on our Groovy layer or Java layer. That's the, the web server that's running, and we're, of course, running in Apple's device and are using HTTP stack from their end. So to get really secured data, TLS makes a lot of sense. And we use this great little, I use this great little app called Charles, which is a proxy that allows me to put inserts into the proxy on my device, and I can all inspect that. I can create a man-in-the-middle attack for myself to help me develop the application. It's a very useful tool. Charles is a great tool. But that won't work with missiles, what you're saying. And so a developer that's doing streaming stuff can't use a tool out of the box like that from some other company you've got to generate your own. Right, exactly, right. So we, we do have a proxy, I mean, an injected proxy to dump out missile code. But of course, we had to come up with it. And, you know, as much, I, I, I mean, I love Charles. It is a great tool. It's, it's very easy to use. I don't know that we had the same level of application know-how necessarily within the team to make a tool that's quite as nice to use, right? It has a lot of features I never use. Right. The truth is, right? Right. You know, but conversely, whatever it is that we came up with, you know, is not that easy to use, right? Mm-hmm. And that's... You know, that is the, the crux of the problem. It's, 
it is somewhat of a tough sell across the company because it also comes with higher bar uh, in terms of usability, right? So I'm convinced myself that it is, it is up to us to rise to the challenge, so to speak, and, and, and make sure that as we care to get missile adopted widely within Netflix, we need to give ourselves the means to, to do so, right? And is that one of the hires that we are picking up, someone to build tools to make this easier, more adaptability? Trying to pick someone up to join the missile team, you know, whose responsibility would be to do what, you know, that's uh, open, but the team in general would be responsible to, yeah, to, to also do the tuning. For a long time, we moved away from our own, like, physical hardware server rooms. We were in AWS. We do have physical hardware, though. We have these open connect boxes. They're all over the place on the planet, and that's our own hardware that has our catalog, and this allows us to make really great relationships with smaller ISPs where they don't have to use output bandwidth. They can use bandwidth from inside their ISP to their customer base using one of our boxes, and we manage those boxes. And we traditionally, for our images and other static assets, we've put it on a large uh, CDN uh, by like Akamai, some public company that does that kind of work, or even on AWS's uh, uh, service of that layer. We've been moving slowly to our own boxes to do some of those assets because in some regions it's really beneficial for the customer. We can actually get better traffic throughput from our box that's local, you know, somewhere in India or something. When we do that, as we move to Open Connect and we, we control the entire hardware stack and everything in there, are you saying that potentially we could move to all assets being delivered through Missile instead of TLS because we control both sides of the conversation? I would categorize the effort to gain that performance for Missile slightly higher because the effort to optimize HTTPS has already been done. So now you're asking the teams like, well, you have this thing that works and works fairly in an optimized way. Hey, come and do this other new thing. And by the way, you have all this effort that you need to put up to get the same optimization. I'd never heard the idea of moving other resources besides the streaming feed to Missile. So that was why I was curious about it. Just from a, been here a while and hadn't heard that idea. There are many reasons, internal and external, as to why it also makes a lot of sense to keep assets and asset delivery over yeah. HTTPS. When we're dealing with a partner, one of these large companies, I'm assuming that at this point there's a lot of desire to have Netflix on devices and such, right? So first start of a relationship with a company like that is at least starts as a, hey, this is a good business process for us, right? So by the time you guys are talking to engineers of those teams, they're kind of on board and solving the problem. So I'm assuming that you engage with people at these large corporations that are engineers like yourselves doing this. What is it like to do that? How, what's the relationship like? It's great. How so? Why? It, it, it's super interesting because we get to foster this relationship with our colleagues at, at other companies, big companies like Samsung, LG, Sony, uh, and all the SOC vendors, I mean, uh, Realtek, MediaTek, Broadcom. I mean, I'm, I'm, Broadcom, yeah, I'm name dropping, but it's like <laughs> these big companies, right? And we're security consultants for these for, for these colleagues. We're, we're, we're trying to help them. We're trying to help them with their design. How, how, how do you design a robust platform security where the Netflix application can run in a manner where the user doesn't have to worry about being targeted with with viruses, worms. Um, they don't have to worry about the Netflix application being an attack vector for someone to display their choice of UI to extract uh, data, yeah. data from the, like their credit card right. information, right? Their, their their account login information. Your TV feels safer than your web browser. Yeah, so, and um, we would like to say that we have a, a small part in making sh- generating that feeling from from yeah. from users. So you, when users. you're working with a team, you're not just talking about like you have to do these things. You're also talking about maybe problems they might have with what they're implementing and how to potentially harden it. That's right. Under the time constraints, right? Because everybody wants to ship a device, right? Everybody right. wants to ship a product. 
time constraints and also business goals, which may be at times in direct conflict with security goals. Yeah. So then establishing the right trade-off between security risk and business reward becomes an interesting equation. Uh, one thing I'm very curious about with security is due to how it impacts our customers. How does freedom and responsibility look like on the security team? Lots of freedom, no responsibility. No, I'm kidding. Because uh, <laughs> it sounds like it's just responsibility and more responsibility. No, there's quite a bit of freedom because um, a problem has many types of solutions. And each solution um, reduces risk in different ways to different levels, security risk. Uh, so th- there is a lot of freedom for us to 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 reach out to our counterparts at, at these big companies and engage in, a, in a, a frank conversation about here's where your device is today. Here's the risks that we see with what you're doing right now. We understand your business goals. We understand our business goals. We also understand that we need to ship this like yesterday. What can we do? What can we do in, in the short term, in the midterm, and then what's our strategic bets to make sure that this risk that we have identified uh, gets reduced. It gets reduced to a level where everybody feels comfortable. When you're assessing that risk, do you guys mostly do this? Do you, do you talk a lot amongst yourselves? How many is on your team? How many people are on your team? There's uh, 14 of us in the 14. Moment. Okay. Yeah. It's, yeah. A, it's a big team. That's a big team, yeah. yeah. So I'm assuming there's some separation of uh, responsibilities and stuff. Mm-hmm. Like maybe if only a few of you are talking to LG or something like that. How do you assess best practices and, and make sure that all of you are kind of in alignment with I feel like that's the, the strength of the team because we do talk with each other. Uh, none of us know everything. It's just impossible. But we leverage each other's knowledge and experience to get to a really, well, the best state we can. Um, so there's a lot of talk. There's a lot of, lot of conversations, at times heated, <laughs> a lot of banging in the, on, on the <laughs> table. Um, I'm not going to name anybody, but <clears throat> um, uh, But yeah, at, at the end, we have, we're attacking the problem, right? We're, we're, we're all focused on attacking the problem. It's, you know, it's funny. You know, it sounds like so much of your job is not at a keyboard typing away code. It sounds like it's a lot of relationships. Yes and no. So, yes, the, the partner-facing job is one of our hats. And you can tell Philip wears that hat quite a bit and wears it very well. We have some time at the keyboard, too. I'm more of that kind of, a, <laughs> of an engineer. Uh, and... One of the reasons for that is while most of our clients are, in the end, done by third parties, by our OEM partners, some of our clients we ship ourselves. So the, the mobile apps and the Android TV app as well, uh, the game console version of Netflix, we, we develop in-house and ship ourselves. The browser version of the player, we do ourselves, obviously. So for those platforms... On a technical level, the rubber hits the road, and we have to actually provide and develop and integrate a DRM solution. Right. And we have to do it in a way that is, you know, again, robust enough, that meets uh, a, a bar that we find commonly agreeable, but within the constraints of not always being able to rely on the, on the system itself yeah. to do it for us. Can you talk about the roles that you guys do have open and kind of what you're looking for? Can you, Philip? 
Can you? Well. <laughs> May you? What did, I don't know what the proper. At a high, <laughs> super high level, we need a director. We need two managers. Yeah, there you go. And we need a bunch of uh, So it's just an IC playhouse right now. Effectively. We lost our director, but we need a replacement. We need somebody to take on that role and, you know, run the team for us, right? Uh, there's two, there are two manager positions open, one for our team, for the engineering team, one for the – we're talking about the missile engineering team. It's, you know, we, we're going to split it off, and we need somebody to run that, right? Yeah. We have, I think, that's a neat opportunity because missiles an open source project. It's rare that you get, you know, lots of people in the tech world like to work on open source projects from the the public facing aspect of it and like benefiting society and the world mm-hmm. in general. And to have a company like Netflix backing the development of it's kind of a neat space to be in. So that's a pretty compelling space to, to yeah, work yeah, in. absolutely. Um, most of the focus of the team though is yeah. e- on the integration of missile within the Netflix ecosystem itself. So that touches less maybe on the on the open source part of it, right? Mm-hmm. Which is really like the core, like, okay, the, the basic system, but you know, when it comes to integrating, this is where most of the work has to be done, but nonetheless. And then we have at least one open position on the missile team, we know that, and one on our team as well. I think one on our team. Oh, and one on and the one on partner-facing the, team. Yeah. yeah. So if you want to go travel all over Asia and Europe and w- talk to, you know, all the big names uh, yeah. as far as uh, SOC manufacturing and with all of the cable operators across the world, you know, please, and you want to talk to them about security, please, you know, go come consider Let us know. Job.netflix.com, I think, is uh, how yeah, it works. And, and it's yes. not just about talking to them, but having a right. direct positive influence into the devices that get built and shipped. Yes. Do you travel a lot, Philip? I used to, but yeah. now with two young kids at home, <laughs> I, I try not to. That's but yeah, part I, I of used the freedom, to right? Quite you get a bit. To, to not travel as much now because yeah. of that, yeah. Well, thank you both. Was there anything else you guys want to talk about regarding what you're doing and why it's interesting before we wrap it up? Um, I think there's one aspect that maybe we haven't cleared enough, and it's why do we exist in the first place, right? Because you could say, well, no, um, producing the content it only tells so much of the of the story. The way I like to think of our role is kind of like oiling the gears of business, right? Because at, at the core of what we do at Netflix in general is we we distribute somebody else's content. I mean, we're starting to distribute a lot of our own content, but we started by distributing somebody else's content, right? When somebody else trusts us with their content, they come in with their own requirements. And you really need to make sure that you're not going to lose track of this because, you know, otherwise that's lost revenue to me. And we are committing in business terms to those content owners. Then we turn around and we work with, the, as we said, the device manufacturers. And we have to have the same conversation of, hey, look, we're on the hook for that content, but you're the ones where, where you know, the badness will happen. So we need to work commonly agreeable terms where you're going to be able to help us. And so that's the business aspect of it. We, of course, you know, support the technical aspects, aspect of it and help putting the whole picture together to, to, to make sure that we can all that, – that, that we – have technical solutions that are you know, um, available and suitable and, and appropriate for, for the problem at hand. But to me, for as long as I've been working on, on content protection solutions, what, what I've liked is that aspect of being at, at that intersection between technology and, and business. And that's, that's something that's, you know, the, the, you, what you're saying, that the public sees the, the, maybe the technical part of it and the, the, the constraining part of it. But you also want to think about DRM as being the, the small necessary price to pay for all that content to be available in the first place. Right. It makes the business possible. So, Philip, yeah. Fully agree with what Batron described. 
And I would like to add one more dimension, and that is the user experience. Um, when we think about security-related stuff, one of the functional requirements that's very dear to us is how does that impact the user experience? Um, and we take it as a, a mandatory functional requirement to preserve a good UX, right? to enable a good user experience. If if instead we we develop or design something that leads to a bad user experience, we've not done our job. Mm-hmm. Um, so a lot of our conversations internally and externally starts with that, with the first bullet point being, how does this impact user experience? It's a good, it's a good way to align people's goals, right? Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. And it just, to me, it m- it makes a lot of sense because we're in the business of delighting lots and lots of users. Yeah. And if you fail to do that, then, well, we've, we're we not, we, the security team, are not contributing to the company's goals. All right. What are you guys watching right now? What do you, Philip, what have you been watching? Um, I just started a really dark series. The um, Is it called Dark? No, yeah. no, 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 no. It's, it, I forgot the name. I just watched a an episode last night and I had some nightmares. Altered know, Carbon. No, I, I like that show. Uh, the um, Okay, well, I'll let you pull out your phone and look if you want. Um, Black Mirror. Last, last could guess. have been Black Mirror. That's a good guess, too. Patron, what have you been watching? I'm, uh, I'm catching up on the Hap and Leonard. Happy what? Hap and Leonard. It's, Hap and it's, uh, it's, um, it's two guys uh, in somewhere in the wet, hot south east of, of the U.S. having you know, conversations or adventures. Adventures. Huh, cool. Grimy adventures. All right. I like it. Michael, you got small kids, so you're probably watching a lot of kids. No, yeah. actually, we I don't. We do very little television for the kids, but us adults, Lana and I, we do Westworld, which is an HBO show currently. And <gasps> oh, I the new season's oh out. Oh my right? god! Yeah, 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 yeah. And it's been very good. Is uh, the second season as good as the first one? I don't know. I'm I'm going through the first one oh, right okay, now. Okay. Uh, but really, what we're very very excited for is the three percent coming up. So we're kind of counting down the days. So you watched the first season of the three percent? It was so good. Oh, cool. Holy is, cow! Is that a Brazilian show? It is a Brazil. It's our first Brazilian. And do you watch show. it dubbed or subbed? Meaning, is there is there English speaking? Subbed only. I, Sub, I cannot do dubs. Uh, I, so you read it all. Uh, reading doesn't bother me. I'm one of the, I guess, whatever that group of people is called, the people who I, have I, no problem reading. I love this conversation of whether it's okay to read or or hear a second act. There's a whole it. group. Uh, Lots of people would rather and have forth. it dubbed, yeah. and some people would rather have it subbed. It's very turns, strong. Turns out, your Brazilian is much better than you thought. You don't even need to read. Well done. Who? Your Brazilian is really good. You're yeah. just hearing it perfectly. Yeah, you're like, you're oh. like, oh, I only speak English. No, no, you see. It's Brazilian eating well. Oh, wow. <laughs> so fine. The Alienist. The Alienist. Oh, okay. I, I saw some uh, previews. For that. It's dark. Well, very cool. Thank you both for joining me on this. Um, I feel like we because we talked about dark shows, we seem to all be enjoying dark shows right now. Is there anything light and fun that's been jo- – Comedians and Carsman is really fun for me. Anybody else? Oh, uh, I like the uh, Santa Clarita Diet. That's pretty dark too. It's about a zombie. Yeah, it's about a. But you're right. It's it's comedy. I'm I'm learning quite a few things about myself right now. Um, (laughs) I'm not sure if I like them. A nice the uplifting show, Santa Clarita Diet. I think there's something about having young kids and being around them all the time that you need a little bit of escapism. That's not that delicate, you know. uh, And then once in a while, I go back to the office and watch select. Always fun to do TV episodes because the just they're just able to capture uncomfortability. Yeah. How, how, yeah, how people yeah. feel uncomfortable. Do you watch it's, the British office or the American office? Uh, both. Yeah, British office yeah. really, really yeah. like, like it, puts it, a knife in there and it turns it slowly. Oh, and like, oh, no. Squirming and squirming and squirming. Like, oh. Michael Scott is just so painful in some episodes. Like yeah. him, like crying on the floor in a company meeting. It's just like, oh, I can't do it. <laughs> I'm assuming that's very different than the office space here, right? Than what we feel here at Netflix. But what's what's the best thing about working here? 
Well, there's, there's many things, but I would say um, my colleagues. I'm, I'm always pleasantly surprised. Um, I'm always in awe for how, how talented and hardworking they are. And it, it really is great when you have a colleague that says, yes, I'll do that. And then it magically gets done. It's nice to rely upon it, your colleagues. It, it's amazing. Thank you both for joining us. Yeah, great. yeah thank it you. It was great. Real pleasure.